millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. audiences for centuries. They create both delight and fear, laughter and an unsettling feeling of the uncanny. There's something about a puppet which can subtly portray the tiniest emotion, while also being a blank canvas on which to project one's own feelings and preoccupations. Welcome to the third Dying Arts episode of the Three Ravens podcast, a series all about heritage crafts and forgotten art. I'm Eleanor Conlon, and I'm holding a Venetian marionette with a sculpted face and hands, dressed in a detailed lace-trimmed costume, who's here to help me talk all about the traditional art of marionette making with my co-host Martin Vaux. On this occasion, listeners, she's not being fanciful. She actually has a very beautiful puppet in her hands. Now, I don't pretend to be an expert on marionettes. In fact, I've never trained in the ancient art of string puppetry and much less in the techniques needed to create one using traditional methods. But there is something about puppets which has always fascinated me. Yes, I mean, this is obvious. You you run a company that is more or less a puppet theatre company. I mean, you do do some shows without puppets, but they pretty much feature in everything you do. So Mm -hmm. when did you first get into puppets and puppetry? young child right. and when we were little you still saw a lot of punch and judy shows around many mm. more than you do these days but a toy i played with a lot at home was a theater with cardboard scenery fabric curtains and small marionette puppets i wonder if every country has punch and judy do you think it's a universal you know when, we, uh, when we're saying definitely in europe yeah i mean i think it's fairly widespread i don't isn't know it? if it's gone to the US. Yeah. Perhaps our American listeners could could tell us, have you got Punch and Judy? Yeah. And if so, what's it like? Yeah, because in England, when you say puppet, it's the easy answer that people reach for in their brains is this kind of old, old story of Mm -hmm. Mr. Punch and his wife, Judy, and they have quite a violent slapstick relationship. It's not very nice. I mean, it definitely, uh, Punch and Judy comes from the Italian Commedia dell'arte tradition, so Pulcinello and those stock characters. They certainly have a tradition in Europe. Okay. But uh, tell us about that American Punch and Judy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Got it. I was also, when I was younger, I was a doll's house person. Mm. I loved constructing tiny worlds as part of imaginative play. And puppet-based television was quite an important part of my childhood too. I was addicted to the animated tales of Shakespeare, which had the most gorgeous and detailed, historically costumed stop-motion puppets. And then there was Jim Gamble's puppet performances, which introduced classical music like Peter and the Wolf and the Carnival of the Animals, but with marionettes. Sure, sure. But puppetry, in a way, has 
always been a key feature of how I play with toys. <laughs> I, I treat most toys as puppets, bringing them to life in plays of my own devising, sometimes aloud, sometimes in my imagination. I can confirm this. Whenever we see friends' children, Eleanor is straight to the toy box and then she's bringing toys to life and playing <laughs> with these children. I mean, for me, I think... Sesame Street was far more important than school. <laughs> Puppets taught me so much more than teachers Sesame ever did. Sesame Street was school. <laughs> yeah, it was school, wasn't it? And then uh, also Jim Henson's The Storyteller. I mean, when I discovered that mm. show as a kid, yes. I mean, I think there is a direct line you can draw between uh, Jim Henson's The Storyteller and Three Ravens existing, frankly. Absolutely. <laughs> we love watching The Storyteller, oh, don't we? So I think we'll do another Storyteller rewatch yeah. sometime oh, soon. So good. They're all on YouTube, everyone. One, you can find them if you haven't watched them they're so good get in the sack get in my sack <laughs> but in my career as you say i've worked in visual theater and i've become increasingly interested in the use of puppets to achieve particular effects mm. i think it's important to understand why you're using puppets in place of actors for instance if you have a monstrous creature for example or if you want to manipulate scale yeah an object theatre is so creative too. One of the things that really fascinates me about the art form is the huge variety of different mediums puppet makers and performers use. Yeah. Like a scrunched up piece of paper can be a puppet. One of the most successful puppets I ever saw was a goose made from a pillowcase. Yeah, that's pretty inspiring. I remember when you did an interview on the Puppet Podcast, which mm. if people look on YouTube, you can find Eleanor and Katie uh, from Rust and Stardust being interviewed on the Puppet Podcast. And you were talking about, you know, is a drone a puppet? <laughs> you know, military-style drones? Yeah. There's an argument to suggest that maybe they are, you know? Yeah. It's quite I strange. Would, I'd love to dig into this further because I have many thoughts about puppets and AI and how, where the two could potentially yeah, meet, yeah. but I mean, it's now really, is not the time. It's a really inspiring area of thought and study, but I'm now looking around our studio wondering what else could be turned into a puppet, ignoring, of course, the fact that we have loads of puppets in our studio <laughs> right now. The possibilities for storytelling are kind of infinite, mm. aren't they? Of course, there are endless different types of puppets in the world. So I'm going to have to try really hard to keep myself within the confines of talking about marionettes and marionette making only. So Martin, you must stop me if I mention anything with no strings attached. Got it. No strings allowed. Sounds kind of saucy. Um, so it seems rather odd to me that puppetry is very much alive and well, but marionette making is classed as a dying art. It is. It's classed as endangered on the Radcliffe list due to a variety of different factors. Mm. One is, of course, the lack of professionals in the field willing or able to train in the next generation. And most of the experts are now semi-retired. Okay. Our old foe Brexit has presented a number of challenges to UK artists to travel and learn abroad where there are many more marionette making opportunities. Okay. But the main issue actually seems to be a market one. Oh. There is a lack of demand to programme marionette shows here. Now, perhaps this is because their more contemporary styles of puppetry, like Bunraku, are favoured, but also because of the specific staging required. Oh, yeah. Thus, there's a limited number of productions, and so a lack of opportunities to sort of practice and hone the craft. That's so interesting, because if you think about like icons and propaganda and so on, the marionette, the person leaning over the marionette as a member of the public, you know, or mm. whatever it might be, the sense that we are all being puppeteered by a sinister puppet master, that's kind of ubiquitous. Mm. But I don't think I've ever seen a marionette show advertised for me to go and see mm. in 
England. Why do you think that marionettes aren't programmed here so much compared to other types of puppets? I think it's an economy versus arts funding thing. Marionettes are generally small to medium scale Mm. and quite detailed, which means they're just not appropriate for larger venues. And it's within a venue's interest to sell as many seats as possible and smaller puppets just won't be visible further back. There's evidence of marionette theatre still being fairly popular in Europe, though, and there's a pretty vibrant marionette-making scene in Germany. So, is a marionette strictly defined as a puppet with strings? Yes. Okay. Marionettes are sometimes referred to as puppets, but the term marionette is more precise, and it distinguishes stringed puppets from other types, such as rod, finger, glove, shadow... They're their own species. Okay, so looking at our lovely Columbina puppet here, how does she actually work? So she's controlled from above using strings, although some regional varieties use wires. Mm. It is a very complex form of puppetry and requires a lot of skill and precision. A skilled operator is referred to as a marionettist rather than a puppeteer. Whoa, that's cool. So where does the term come from? It's French and it means little Mary, marionette. marionette. The suggested reason for this is that they were used in France during the Middle Ages to tell Bible stories and the Virgin Mary was perhaps unsurprisingly a very popular character Uh, so you get lots of little Marys. Yeah that is so fascinating. So am I right in thinking that marionette making is actually a pretty darn old art form? It is and the historical materials used are still the same. Really? They're carved from wood and they use string, wire, fabric and paint and have done for centuries. Okay so what's the earliest marionette theatre that we know about for example quite ancient it can be traced back to the 5th century in Greece and even earlier in India oh my goodness the Greek word for puppet interestingly is nevros pastos which literally means drawn by strings And interestingly, some historians claim that the use of puppets in theatre predates the use of actors. That's so cool. So their role in communicating the ideas and needs of society is quite interesting. Oh, I mean, I suppose you can say quite a lot when it's a puppet saying it. Like it creates a bit of distance between the person saying the words and the audience. It's like a medium through which an idea can pass. It's a little like the court jester being the only one who's able to mock the monarch in, in sort well, of medieval culture. You can definitely hide behind a puppet if you want to, mm. as it can have a totally different personality to you and yeah. enact things you don't feel able to as yourself. And a puppet can be naughty in a situation where social rules say a human has to be good. Yeah, of course. <laughs> They're also used in therapy, aren't they? Mm. And we know from some of our own work how performing with a puppet can enhance shy children's confidence. Oh, so, OK, I'm keen. Tell me more about the history of the marionette specifically then. So there's evidence of puppetry taking place in the 14th century in England. We've got an illustrated manuscript of the text, The Romance of Alexander, which depicts puppet shows being performed in booths similar to today's Punch and Judy shows, but Mm. the puppets have strings and being watched by an audience. There may also have been a puppetry element to religious festivals with stories based on the Bible or the miracle plays being performed by puppets, like the the French Little Mary shows. I mean, it's kind of the, um, the evidence of the oldest kind of theatrical production we have, a miracle place. Really, yeah, it, it, biblical storytelling. Yeah. yeah. The earliest written record of a puppet show in England took place at Bartholomew Fair in 1600. And then in the 1700s, there are lots of records of Italian marionettists travelling in England and performing. Now, this puppet that you've got here, 
is Italian, isn't she? Yes, she's from Venice, where there's a tradition of making marionettes, mm. usually in the style of Commedia dell'arte characters and possibly connected to the Carnival as well. No, I'm just going to interrupt because I don't want to presume that everybody knows what Commedia dell'arte is. So if you were going to briefly try and summarise Commedia dell'arte, what would you say it is? Would people recognise it if they saw it? I think so. It's an early form of theatre which originates in Italy it's very much in the sort of folk tale or fable tradition. Yes. You see a series of stock characters who you can expect to see every time. Yeah. So there's Pulcinello, who's an old lecherous man. There's El Capitan, who's a sort of brash, bragging soldier. There's Arlecchino, who is the trickster, often taking the servant role. Yeah. You might recognise... Um, the play A Servant of Two Masters yes. by Carlo Goldoni. Yes. So that's very much in the Commedia tradition. It's got some of those characters and some of them translate into later theatre, like yeah, Shakespeare as well. Definitely, that idea of stock characters yeah. that, that we're all familiar with, almost what we perhaps would call stereotypes in a, in a way mm. in modern culture. There yeah. are a set of stock characters yeah. in Commedia. There's a pair of art. lovers, there's a funny servant, yeah. there's an old man and we can see those, those in Johnson's plays as well. They were quite interested in this idea in the Renaissance as it developed as well. And so we have some evidence that they were basically marionette stock characters. Is that, is that yeah, kind of what so you're saying? This lady here is a Colombina. Who's uh, a, a, she's a, a pretty girlfriend character I see. who sometimes is the love interest or sometimes she goes out with Arlecchino, although he also has a girlfriend called Arlecchina. Uh-huh. Um, so she's a kind of pretty lady character. Cool. <laughs> and there is actually, I just mentioned Carlo Goldoni and there's a puppet theatre set up in the museum in his house in Venice um, with some of those characters. Although actually it is Sicily in Italy which has a really old tradition of marionette theatre rather than Venice. Okay, you say really old? Do we have an idea of the kind of dates we're talking about? Quite likely, from as early as the first half of the 13th century, okay, so in the reign old. of Frederick II, the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm. And it's an art form called L'Opera dei Pupi in Sicilian. Yeah, Pupi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's and spe- spelled different. It's um, P-U-P-I, but maybe go. maybe it is pupi, but that doesn't sound <laughs> doesn't sound, sound quite sound right. <laughs> um, the stories enacted in that tend to be historical or taken from romantic poems, like the Song of Roland. Oh, okay, and they have a strong connection to the troubadour tradition. Mm. Sicilian marionettes are made a bit differently too, and they're simpler to operate than a full-stringed marionette. They've got a sturdy wire rod which extends up from the head and a another rod going to the hand which controls the puppet they don't have rods or strings on the legs so they require the marionettist to really think about the weight and balance when moving the puppet you know we have puppets that almost do the opposite upside down if you see what i mean so you hold the rod from below and the hand from below yeah it's a totally different technique so we don't have any of those kinds of like vertically held Um, We do, actually. We have a lovely Saracen puppet from Sicily who is currently bravely guarding the shed. Oh, yeah, he's out in the shed, isn't he? Yes, he's a lovely Saracen, that chap. He is. He's very pretty. And there are monsters in the shed, so we need him out (laughs) there to protect us. He's he's doing (laughs) honourable duties. Some of the Sicilian puppets, and he's he's one of them, are actually really cleverly designed in sections. As they often take part in the stories in battles or daring rescues, Mm -hmm. they go through quite a lot physically. And some 
Some are designed to split apart on impact from another puppet's weapon. So our little Saracen's head is actually made in sections, suggesting he was designed to have a bad time when a small sword met his head. To be fair, when you're talking about like a Frankish romance, the Saracens tend to have quite a bad time. They do, and <laughs> I thought he was lovely, and yeah. so I was determined to bring him home rather you than save him. one of those horrid Rolands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if bashing and declaiming is not your idea of fun, we could travel onwards to the 18th century, where operas were specifically composed for marionettes. Ooh. Mozart, in particular, was a fan of, of puppets, mm. and I think you can see the influences of the puppet theatre in some of his operas. Okay. Haydn and Gluck both composed marionette operas, and so did Lewis Carroll, no actually. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. One of my most magical memories, actually, was visiting Vienna in the winter and going to the marionette theatre in the grounds of Schloss Schönbrunn, which performed an adapted version of the magic flute and uh, the Salzburg Marionette Theatre which continues to present full-length marionette operas today. See, I think the magic flute was the first ever piece of classical music I heard as a little boy. So yeah, I've got that one deep in the brain. (laughs) Uh, Do these marionettes that you're talking about differ in style to the Sicilian ones? They do. So the German style of marionette has eight strings attached to the legs, hands, shoulders, head and back. So complicated. And the controls are horizontal, even for upright puppets. So not the same Ah. as this control on this puppet here. This is quite unusual because the controls are mostly upright for humanoid figures Mm. and then horizontal or aeroplane style for animals. I see. Okay. I mean, I must say, I hadn't considered that there must be so many different ways of stringing a marionette. It's kind of blowing my mind. There are loads of different styles and mostly varied by geography. Okay. So the Burmese style of marionettes are called yokate and are super intricate. Each puppet has 18 or 19 wires. So male characters have 18 and female have 19 uh, to control them. And they're still operated by only one puppeteer. So one puppeteer has got to manage 19 strings. That sounds so difficult i mean this is one of the things unless you've tried doing puppeteering you don't really understand that you only have two hands <laughs> it's really annoying and when it's you're, so limiting and when you're trying to use a puppet how you can possibly use those hands to make something walk move gesticulate it's actually a really tricky thing to choreograph isn't it mm-hmm. really in yeah a way. it's and sometimes they really want to fight you yeah, they do. They do. They don't want to do the things that don't you want, want to them do. The to things do. you want them to do. Yeah. <laughs> the Czech style of marionettes actually are a little bit similar to Sicilian ones, but normally more complex, more complex. as they often include an opening mouth or movable ears, Whoa. and may or may not include a central rod. It's harder without the central rod yeah, to, I can, I can to control them. So, do we have a specifically British style of marionette building? Actually, we do. Do we? Yeah, marionettes had a bit of a renaissance in the 20th century the British Puppet and Model Theatre Guild was established in 1925 and that was the first here to explore puppetry from a scholarly perspective and to promote puppetry arts but marionettes were a commercial success as well so some of our listeners might remember Pelham Puppets I can't say I know anything about Pelham Puppets oh really what are Pelham Puppets um so they're they're a marionette that were commercially successful and the company was established by a man called Bob Pelham in 1947 and they were sold at Hamleys and at toy shops all over the country my mum actually had a Pelham Cinderella and a cute little Scotty dog so I remember 
remember those. And they're a bit simpler because they're designed for children to be able to control and play with. And they have seven strings mm. attached to the legs, hands, head and back. And interestingly, they usually also have a horizontal folding crossbar to operate, although British-style marionettes normally have upright controls and nine strings. <sighs> so, you know, you used to see marionettes in children TV shows in this country a lot. I'm thinking particularly of, like, Thunderbirds and Muffin the Mule, things yeah, like that. Yeah, the Thunderbirds have marionettes, although they were animated by Super Marionation. Yeah, <laughs> yep, which was a term coined to describe the technique which electronically moved the character's lower lips. Yeah, Bill and Ben the Flowerpot Men, they were marionettes, weren't they? Yes, and the puppetry is really lovely in the Flowerpot Men. Mm. I like that you can see the strings and the same strings sometimes get caught on their hats yeah. or on their little hands and it, it makes you feel as though it's live theatre. Sadly though, you really don't see much marionette action on TV anymore. I mean, I think you don't see that much British created children's television content anymore in terms of like cartoons and TV shows in the same way that mm, yeah, you used Yeah, you're right, to. you don't. Although in modern times, there is a tradition of marionette theatre here in England. Mm. It's mostly at the Little Angel Theatre, which was founded in 1961 by master marionette makers John and Lindy Wright. Yeah. And Lindy Wright still lives and works there today using traditional methods to make marionettes. Well, I know that Rust and Stardust have done a little bit with Little Angel over the years. Yeah, I've never met Lindy. I would like to, but I, I never <laughs> have um, there's also the puppet barge which primarily still uses marionettes um, while Little Angels definitely diversified yeah, they have yeah. lots of different types of puppetry in mm. and according to the Heritage Crafts site there are five theatres in the UK with specially designed marionette bridges which might also contributed to the lack of touring opportunities okay but tell me a bit about those Marionette bridges. What's a marionette bridge? Well, so traditional marionette performance involves the puppeteer being completely hidden. Okay. But they need to be above the marionette to be able to operate it. So uh, there's an operating area raised above the stage floor. Mm. So the puppet acting area is undisturbed by the sight of human hands. Okay. In a traditional marionette show, you wouldn't see a human at all. And the bridge goes across the proscenium opening to hide the puppeteer and also increase the depth of the acting area. Whoa. All right. So let's talk actual marionette making then. So what do I need to do if I want to start making my own marionettes? Well, I've mentioned materials already, mm. wood, string, paint cloth, but the skills you will need are certainly drafting and designing, yeah. then wood carving, mm -hmm. joint making, treating and finishing, design for the control and the stringing pattern, and also decoration skills to bring the face to life. Yeah, I feel like I was like following you and going, yeah, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. But then design for the control and stringing pattern, Whoa, that would be so difficult. Mm -hmm. Are marionettes always carved from wood? Not always, but that's certainly the historic method. Okay. And carved marionettes are probably the most effective because, as you can guess, the essence of good marionette construction is balance and distribution of weight. Okay, yeah, yeah. You also want flexibility of movement and joints restricted appropriately to allow adequate control of your puppet. Mm. So not everything needs to be jointed. Okay. For example, an, like an unrestricted ankle joint will make walking a marionette pretty hard as the toes will drag oh, on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want the ankle to be a little bit restricted. But for the wrist joint, you probably want lots of flexibility so gestures can be really expressive, mm. which is the same in Rod and Bumraku puppetry. Using a good balance of materials is really important so the whole puppet 
actually works. Yeah, okay. Like, so if really heavy legs were attached to a light body, mm. that would be so difficult yes. to use. And the pelvis definitely shouldn't be too light, as it will affect the puppet's walking action. Well, I mean, in our puppet designs, sometimes the puppets don't actually have legs at all. They just have a dress mm. or something that, that gives the illusion. you can float them. But then that, that has its own challenges, mm. because if there's no kind of bottom end of the puppet, if that's imaginary, yes. you really have to think about where you're putting the weight of the puppet to balance them so it can look like they're moving. That's very interesting. So if I wanted to see some historic marionettes, is there anywhere I could go to have a look? Yes, you certainly could. There are various collections of historic marionettes, including at the British Museum, the Horniman, the National Puppetry Archive, which is in Shropshire, Mm -hmm. and the V&A Puppet Archive. And you can also see marionettes at the Five Puppet Theatres. Well, thinking about folklore, as I often am, um, <laughs> do marionettes actually come into folktales anywhere? I mean, I know there's Pinocchio. He's a puppet. Yes, Pinocchio is a carved wooden marionette. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think the original story by Carlo Collodi is very well known. Yeah, We're yeah. quite used to the deeply sanitised Disney version. Yes, we are. Collodi's story is extremely dark mm. and allegorical. He wrote and advocated across his career for a unified Italy. Yes. And there's a lot of clever philosophical stuff in the original Pinocchio novel, which is called Storia di un burattino, story of a marionette. Yes, that's perhaps one that's due a retelling. I don't know if people saw the Guillermo del Toro film last year, but I mean, that was almost a horror movie, his version. I haven't watched it yet, and perhaps Mm. I should because it might be closer to the original, which is quite disturbing. Mm. For example, there is a moralising cricket in the novel, but instead of accompanying Pinocchio on adventures like Jiminy Cricket does in the Disney film, the marionette crushes the cricket to death against a wall in an early chapter. Ouch, but also... That doesn't happen in even Guillermo del Toro's version, sadly. For anyone who Jiminy Cricket has ever annoyed, that's for you. (laughs) Otherwise, though, I haven't been able to discover any folk and fairy tales which specifically mention marionettes. But if you know of any, we would love to hear from you. Well, thank you, Eleanor. That was extremely interesting. But I'm hoping you are going to perform a marionette show for me now with that lovely Columbina puppet. Oh, I think I'd get in a sad tangle. (laughs) She'll be doing a very uncomfortable dance. Let's leave it for the experts. All right. Well, in the meantime, if you've enjoyed this bonus episode and you'd like to get your hands on exclusive content, including all of our episodes completely ad-free, text versions of all our stories, special Patreon-exclusive episodes like The Three Ravens Film Club and our ghost walks and our monthly newsletter then please consider supporting us via patreon at patreon.com forward slash three ravens podcast it's just three dollars a month or six dollars a month and we really appreciate the support we really do and if you're enjoying the podcast and have time to write us a quick review on itunes or apple podcasts we'd really appreciate that too and if you're a social media raven we have plenty of chatter on facebook.com forward slash three ravens podcast twitter at three ravens pod and instagram at at Three Ravens Podcast. Until next time then, while our carved wooden marionettes dance that way, we'll go this way. And remember, don't whistle until you're out of the woods. Join us next week as we explore the historic county of Cheshire on Monday and for a Something Wicked episode on Thursday. Our theme song is the traditional folk ballad Three Ravens, performed by Eleanor Conlon and Ben Harbour, and our logo is by Ollie James Dare. The Three Ravens podcast is a Rust and Stardust production, produced by me, Martin Box. Thanks for listening.
God sent every gentleman Such hounds, such hawks, and such lean man With a down, derry, derry, derry